This is Expat State of Mind with Tip and Tom. Hey, this is Tip. And this is Tom. And this is the Expat State of Mind podcast. We're coming at you today to talk about things that went wrong. What happened when shit hit the fan. Hmm. And I think uh, we both have a a bunch of stories about times um, while living overseas where um, we had some setbacks, we had crazy stuff just happen, or stuff that it wouldn't seem crazy if we were back in our home countries, but because we're overseas, um, it just sounds like, you know, something that is, you know, going bad for us. But uh, I don't even know where we should start. Yeah, I think there's, um, when I was thinking about this episode, there was, I think, big and small things sort of came to mind. You know, so the ones that obviously stick out as, you know, ones that were you know, quite trying. Uh, but then, you know, there's also ones that were probably smaller and, um, you know, probably more amusing. Um, and it was just little things where, where you just maybe weren't thinking or something caught you off guard. Um, so the, yeah, there's there's plenty to uh, plenty of content to sort of mine here uh, in terms of uh, some my own sort of personal stories. Um, I wonder what like the most common thing to go wrong for people would be actually. Maybe it's visas. Yeah, I was gonna yeah probably two of the things I've got here would have been my guesses yeah visas or or, or money or, or both. Oh yeah, both of those. Um, and sometimes because visas cost money, you could have the same thing going wrong at like both of those things going wrong at the same time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and it, both were an issue for me. I certainly miscalculated how it, just how expensive it is to live completely on your own. Um, yeah, because there's no nipping around your mate's house for dinner or yeah, going home to see your parents for a weekend and having food made for you while you're there. Every, you're doing everything for yourself. Um, so it was, um, yeah, I, I very, very much miscalculated that. Um, which was a, a bit of a shock for me, and that was probably the first real challenge that I faced um, when I was here. Yeah, well, how about we uh, talk about visas? Because I think that's um, like we've mentioned it before. I think it was on the episode about like what to do before you like even leave. Yes. Um, but obviously, some people will come to like a or go to a new country on one visa, but then have to like swap mm. to another visa or renew the visa that they're on. Like I have a friend in the States who's, you know, on a green card, which is like a visa equivalent. And that has to be renewed, you know, every so often. Yeah. And, you know, there's a cost involved with that. And then so what were your hmm. visa issues? Like what did you have um, um, go wrong when it came to visas? Yeah. So I, I cycled my way through a, a few different visas since I've been here in Australia. So How many? Um, what do you know? So we'll count them on the way through. So. Okay. Um, I came initially here on a, a partner visa, um, as we mentioned in a previous podcast. Um, I came out here with with an Australian girl, um, so I came out here on the on a de facto visa relationship. So you did like the offshore partner. Yeah, visa. so we did the offshore partner visa there. Um, then um, we broke up. Um, I was planning on staying on that for a while while I found my feet, but that wasn't the case. I had to sharply move across to a holiday visa so i wasn't you know kicked out of the country once they found out that we weren't together anymore so it was the working holiday visa. working holiday visa yeah so that's the initial 12 months you can work for uh you know, work, work anywhere but you can only work there for six months um and then if you want to extend it you can do what they call farm work or rural work um you know which is where you go into the health industries that find it hard in uh, more remote locations around australia to get um you know to get staff 
Um, so, um, yeah, moved on to that um, whilst I carried on working. Um, I worked in recruitment, which is an area where you can get sponsored. So that was the next goal. Uh, managed to get um, eventually find a company that, that you know, wanted to sponsor me there. So moved on to a four. Five seven, seven yeah. four five seven. It was yeah. Um, that is um, yeah, a working visa. Um, so then I was sort of sponsored by by the company. So there was a cost involved for them and for myself. I think for that one. Um, so so far, what we're on to three. Yeah, three visas. and that one no longer exists. That one does no longer exist. Yeah. So I did that. Um, so I was there. Then I moved companies and got a new one of those. So that's four. Um, although we can count it potentially as the same one. And then. Um, and then what happened? Yeah, so then I moved companies again, um, and this is where I had my biggest visa drama, um, where I be- I thought my company had got me a new one, as had happened previously, um, but what it actually done was a, a cheaper option, moved my current visa over to them, um, so the the uh, the end date hadn't been pushed back; it was exactly the same. Um, so I was under the impression that I was on a, another two year visa. Um, but there was only, I think, six months left on it. Um, so then oh, eventually yeah. when I came to, um, well, maybe there's 18 months left on it, because when, eventually when I came to two years of that company, uh, I went to apply to get my permanent residency, um, and that um, that was a problem, <laughs> because the visa that I had had run out months prior. Um, <laughs> you were illegal. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so I was, I was in Australia, <laughs> on no visa, um, applying for a permanent residency whilst being illegally in the country. So it was an interesting turn of events. So then I had to quickly apply for a... Oh, I can't remember what visa it was. Oh, I had to get another 457. That was it. Uh, and this there was only... A, I think this was a month before the 457s were, were, were sort of phased out. Um, so I had to quickly get that done because there was, you know, some... You know, visa agents managed to find a way, basically, to get it through. Um, uh, we, yeah, we we fessed up to it, and we you know, we got in touch and said that we've made a mistake here. We're, we're fixing it, you know, X and Y, blah blah blah. And um, yeah, so eventually I got that four five seven again, um, and then which I had to pay for myself. And then um, one as soon as that came in, I then had to apply for my PR permanent residency, uh, which also cost money. Um, so there was um, yeah, that was all happening. Eventually, eventually we got there. Um, the PR was lodged and we waited and eventually came through. Um, so I now I'm a permanent resident. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a long old road, a few visas and a few stresses. Um, yeah, I think the first one when I had to switch over to a holiday visa um, and then you know, later on I found out I didn't have a visa. I think both times I was pretty worried that my time here may be sort of coming to an end. Yeah, I think that's like a normal feeling too when it comes to visas and switching mm. and you know, them running out, it's just like, oh, I, I'm all right, I don't want to leave this place, you know, or maybe it's not even that you don't want to leave, it's like, I'm not ready to go, you know, yeah, I'm still working, I live here, blah, 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 if I was going to leave, then I would arrange, you know, for my stuff to be moved back, I would have an in, like a date that I'm going to move by, and those kind of things, when it happened so suddenly, you're like, well, what am I supposed to do, because I'm not yeah. ready, if I were ready to go back, um, then that'd be a different story, but yeah, definitely. Usually, you're, you know, it just comes out of nowhere. Um, how many visas have I had? Um, let's see. So, I actually I started off on the work and holiday visa, not to be confused with the working holiday visa, um, because the two are different. Certain countries eligible for the working holiday visa, um, like Tom, 
and then other countries um, you get to work and holiday visa and, uh, in the beginning um, so it's only changed recently the two used to be very different if you were on the working holiday visa you could be here for two years and do the farm work and stuff whereas if you were just on the work and holiday visa it's just one year whereas now they're both three years long and apparently Americans don't have to do farm work specifically they can work in like resorts and um, do like hospitality always getting the easy route yeah yeah some someone did that <laughs> someone um, made sure that happened uh and anyway um what did i do after that one so i was on that one and uh i had like a three-month contract with one company and i moved to another company and i was there for six months and the idea was that um we would do some sort of like uh not quite a sponsorship so this visa is the 412 and the 412 visa is almost like a training visa so you're working but you're training to be kind of in a certain role or whatever and um we i think the company that i was working for they were doing their part to research then i was doing my part and we were trying to uh i guess get it sorted really but in the end we realized how much harder it was going to be and it was probably easier to do the the sponsoring so doing the 457 like tom however we ran out of time and uh this visa was uh i mean this company was quite small so maybe like 100 employees yeah. tops and they weren't prepared to do um to do that type of visa so i then had to now find another place to work and so at this point, I may have had a little bit less than three months left on this work and holiday visa. And um, I had to find another place to work. So obviously it would be like a short-term contract. And I then had to find uh, another visa that would then keep me here after the year. And I wasn't able to do that. So I did have some, um, <clears throat> excuse me, some jobs, um, not jobs, interviews with recruitment companies, believe it or not, Tom. I was gonna. I was tempted to go that route because I had some friends in recruitment, and um, what really made it come to a head is I went to an interview looking for a job, and I was with like I think it was I won't actually say their name. I was with a recruitment agency that's very popular, and they were like, "Well, have you ever thought about recruitment?" And then we got down that rabbit hole, and uh, my friend who worked in recruitment and his girlfriend they were trying to get me interviews with their company, uh, so that I could then stay and be sponsored. Uh, but then I thought about it long and hard and I was like, yeah, I just don't want to work in recruitment. So I gave up on that. And, um, obviously that was me like forfeiting any opportunity to, um, to stay longer. So I just decided, you know, move to New Zealand and then look at the visa options, um, from that point of view, I guess, and then come back to Australia on a new visa, you know, getting it sorted while I was in New Zealand. And, uh, so that was <clears throat> excuse me then that was the reason why going moving to new zealand was kind of stressful and not you know not necessarily what i wanted at the time because it came just very last minute and um i don't know there was a bunch of issues that kind of stemmed from that as well um but yeah it was last minute i uh wasn't really i was started a job that was probably i think it was a month and a half and then i was doing um like a side job at a restaurant and um, so then it was like, you know, these visa issues were causing money issues and so forth and so on. But 
when I did come back, I was actually on a tourist visa, believe it or not, and um, I switched to the partner visa. And from there on out is how I got permanent residency. Yeah, so I didn't have a whole lot of visas, but yeah. I just had visa issues. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, yeah, anyone anyone that's gone that sort of route will be able to attest that you know getting to permanent residency is is almost never as as simple as just getting a visa and then waiting and then getting your permanent residency. It's uh, it's often a very winding track, and I'm sure that it's exactly the same uh, in you know many places around the world. If you want to. You know, make a move from you know living somewhere to you know really settling and becoming either a you know resident or a citizen. <coughs> um, you're really struggling over there with uh, yeah, no. your throat. And I've got tea and water, and it's still not you know getting whatever is in my throat out. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think um, one other thing I was going to say, um, both with um, you know those partner visas and with work and sponsorship visas, um, I found, and I know a lot of people have found that you know. Yeah, it can be used as leverage because, as you Ooh, were saying, definitely. you don't want to leave, um, and it, and the other person knows that. Um, so that's definitely something that, um, yeah, is uh, is worth bearing in mind. I think if there's an option to do a visa on your own outside of your relationship, regardless of how confident you are about it, it's worth doing because it's just yeah. an added pressure. Definitely, and even outside of work sponsorship. So there is that. Uh, I think it's one eight six. I could be making that up. I know it starts with a one. Correct. But it's the skilled migrant visa where, so essentially you're sponsoring yourself. So you just look at this skills list and if your skill is on there, you can, and it's cheaper, you can go through the whole process. You might use an, an agent, but you, you have to do like uh, some tests, like maybe an English test if you're from a non-native English speaking country. With the exception of Ireland, I know they have to uh, do an English test. Um, yeah, I mean, there's an argument that they're not a native English speaking country. <laughs> Um, it's funny because I have actually had that conversation with some people who are Irish before. Long, long time ago when I was very naive. Um, then, uh, what was I? Uh, oh, so and you have to have a certain amount of points. So I think it's out of 100. And then you may be, being, being a native English speaker might be this amount of points. Having this degree is a certain amount of points. And then yeah. so forth and so on. And then you just sponsor yourself. I think if, some, if you could do that, that's probably the best way to be able to move to Australia specifically. I know they, New Zealand has a similar type of visa and um, I would imagine that there are some countries that do look for certain skills and they're willing to sponsor certain skills. Like, you know, in the um, in Southeast Asia, or actually probably a lot of Asia, not just Southeast Asia, if you um, have like a degree and the, the TELP certification and you can teach English, and um, those visas, if you have those qualifications, are, are easier to get versus trying to do it any other way um, yeah. in those particular countries. Yeah, and TELF is teaching English as a foreign language, that way. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, What's something else that you think? Oh, actually, just one more thing where you were saying about um, it being leverage. Mm. It also um, puts you at the mercy of, it, of someone. I mean, this is the same as being. Um, it being held as leverage, but it really does put you at the mercy of someone else because that, that has happened to some of my friends. They're on a partner visa and the company, I'm sorry, and, the, and their partner, you know, decides they don't want to be together anymore. The relationship dissolves however it does. And, you know, you have 28 days to leave essentially. And uh, with companies, you know, if something happens to that company or, if, you know, they let you go, then that's it. And um, it just you kind of don't feel secure 
uh, for the the time being until you get that permanent residency. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and we mentioned as well, sort of running out of money. Um, and I think that's something that, um, yeah, I've obviously come fairly close to running out of money throughout period different periods of my life. But I think it's there's a different feeling when you're on the other side of the world to every, anyone you know. When you sort of when those dollars are running low, yeah, um, and when you're by yourself, <laughs> yeah, and you're just like, wait, don't know where I'm. I literally, don't know where I'm getting this uh, this next meal from. But it does always seem to to work out um, eventually. As expensive as Australia is to live in, um, you know, compared to a lot of places, you get paid very well here. So um, I found that to be one of the the, up, the upsides to here is um, you know once you started working, it was um, pretty easy to get your get your head straight. Yeah, but then there's sometimes unexpected things come up so mm-hmm. for example um if you're not a permanent resident or a citizen here in australia um you don't have access to medicare and if for whatever reason you haven't purchased uh private health insurance or if you don't have um i guess travel insurance uh if something were to happen that's a huge medical expense that you now have to pay and um if you you know you're just working and kind of living like a modest lifestyle or whatever you still have money to do things something like a medical bill can just throw you Mm. for a loop i don't think i've had any um instances of having to pay something as extreme as like a medical bill um because i have i've had private health insurance for a while but i have uh, i guess since being on a bridging visa so not being a permanent resident but once you're on a bridging visa for the partner visa which is almost immediately after you apply Mm. bar if you have uh time left on the previous visa you were on then you get access to medicare so then that does help with that um but some of the money issues that i've had i don't know where did they come from i think it was more so um living living expenses so if you're moving to a new place and having to pay a bond which could be four four weeks rent yeah yeah well it's usually what four weeks rent plus Plus two two weeks weeks in advance yeah Yeah, so you're paying six weeks really and then you've got to find another two weeks in in a week or two weeks. Yeah, so. and that can really set some people back. Uh, and I remember when I was looking for apartments, I was looking for somewhere the bond was just two weeks versus, I was like, I think I can manage four weeks, but six weeks of rent, you know, if this rent is 300 a week, that's, you know, a good chunk. And in the beginning, I wasn't getting paid uh, a whole lot. I was, I was making a decent salary, but um, I was trying not to, end up living with five or six people in a house or whatever um, yeah 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 i know that feeling um all right and that seamlessly kind of leads me into what i was going to bring up next which was you know some of the biggest sort of problems i've had since moving here have been um you know when moving house or you know people that i've ended up living with um and um you know just just sort of kick things off on these on this i've got a few here um but uh yeah, first of all, when I when I first got here and that initial relationship broke down, yeah, I moved obviously out of the house that we were staying in, um, and just wanted to get anywhere. So I found this place, um, which was there was a couple living there, and they were just subletting the spare How'd room. How did you find them? Flat. It was on one of these, uh, like flatmate finder or something like that. And um, so so I moved in. They seemed nice enough, lovely couple. Um, so we moved. I mean, I moved in, and then maybe four four or five weeks later. Um, they say, oh, the the owner said she's going to move back in, so we're going to have to move out. So yeah, I was back on the market, which in itself was annoying and is not the thing that found this a, a big issue. But what what then happened was that uh, 
they'd been staying there, I think, for three years, three or four years. And um, when they got their bond back, uh, they said that they wanted to split the cost three ways because um, that was that just seemed fair. Um, Even though, how long have you been living I've there? I've been at this there point? for I think four weeks, four or five weeks. Jesus. <laughs> uh, and then, so so, so <laughs> ensued the first um, of many, uh, well, first of a few battles with um, with housemates here, um, which has been a bit of an interesting journey. Um, and you know, didn't learn from that, and then moved in with a you know, a couple of absolute lunatics. Um, one, so what one, happened though? We, did they end up paying you back your full bond? Or? Yeah, I think I got the vast majority of it back eventually. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. I remember it just being a hassle. Yeah. Because it was through flatmates and not through an official bond thing. They oh, because what they're supposed to do is take your bond. They're supposed to take it and then log yeah, it. Yeah, so I found that out at the yeah. time, which <clears> is kind of how this... It was, you know, it was a sublet. So that was the thing that was... But then they weren't supposed to be subletting it. So that was kind of my comeback, I think, at the time. Right. But uh, yeah, it was just um, you know not really the hassle you need when you when you're still trying to sort of find your feet in a, a new country. So I'd say you know if you can, if you do get a chance to vet your housemates, it's definitely worth doing. One um, couple of friends that I know here, they actually uh, one when they met was through flatmate finders, um, and one of the guys had moved here from Melbourne, and his company were putting him up. So he thought I'll oh, I'll get a two bed place rather than find a bedroom somewhere else. And then I can, you know, find someone to take the second bedroom. So, um, so he got this two-bedroom flat, um, and then he set this up basically where he had loads of people coming to view the house or the room uh, in a, in a space of a few days. And what he'd done was he'd filled the bit the fridge with beer, um, and every person that came in, he would offer them a beer. Um, and if uh, if they refused, they were just straight off the shortlist, <laughs> not even not even in consideration. Um, so then, you know, met a few guys. Um, eventually, our other mate came. They ended up, you know, sharing the majority of the the crate of beers. And by the end of the night, you know, they knew that they were going to be flatmates, and they you know, went on to be mates. And um, you know, was uh, one was the best man at the other's wedding. So it's um, it, it yeah, you get some really good stories like that as well. And I think that's a good way of doing it. And since hearing that, I'd certainly, if you get the chance to do that, if not everyone will. It's a yeah, it's a good way of. Well, you don't even have to do the whole beer thing. You don't have thing, to do it in the exact same but way, I but think I think set up some way of you know, working out if you have something in common, it's worth doing. Well, I don't even think this is like setting up something, but I just think you need to spend a good amount of time just talking. So I've seen uh, people who are doing like, you know, a viewing at their house to find a flatmate, and the person just kind of comes and looks around at everything and then asks a few questions and leaves, where yeah. I think that That's you kind of exactly actually, what I did. Yeah, well, you need to spend some time. Like, whenever I was looking for a place, I was there minimum 30 minutes, but sometimes I've been there an hour, an hour and a half. And that's because I'm, like, talking to the people that live there and and not even just about, you know, oh, what trains are close by, what buses or whatever, just talking about things we have in common. Because if you're an expat, these might end up being people that you hang out with. So if you have nothing in common with them and you don't like the same things, you know, chances are you're probably not going to hang out with them and you know when you're first moving somewhere um it can be quite lonely so you do want to have people that you can hang out with and i I think flatmates are uh you know an easy way to do that my last flatmate um oh it's a bit different because he knew who i was before we actually met in person it just so happened to that he was the uh the boss of two running coaches that i knew and they just so happened to have a magazine that had my face in it. And he looked at it and he was like, 
this girl, I'm talking to her in a flatmate finders. She's coming to see my apartment on this day. And they're like, oh, this is her, blah, blah, blah. This is what she's like. But so maybe he had in the back of his mind, he already knew that I would probably be a good flatmate choice. Um, but I still stayed there for like an hour and a half. And he had a friend there. I don't know if his friend was like secretly like, you know, uh, giving his advice on whoever came by, but I just say it and talk to them. Or thinking, I wish this girl would go so we could carry on hanging out. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but he, like, in, it obviously we ended up living together. And that same guy that was there every time he came around, he was, you know, friendly and we would have a good chat or whatever. Oh, so maybe he was just, he knew, like, this guy's going to be around here quite a lot. So let's, you know, let's set, set expectations. There's often going to be a guy on the couch. Yeah, well, he did actually. Well, we had an an air mattress that he slept on in the living room because he was moving back to Sydney from the Gold Coast or something. Um, So he did come around whenever he was looking at places and visiting family. Hmm. Um, Trying to think of some flatmate issues that I've had. Well, you know what? When I was moving to New Zealand, um, I wasn't sure because everything was so up in the air. I wasn't able to like confidently say I'm moving out in four weeks. So it was just up in the air. So it ended up being like, maybe two and a half, three weeks notice that I gave. And I was like, you know, it's almost out of my control because had I given you four weeks notice a month ago, then I'd have to be finding a place to live for a month because I was wrong and I'm actually mm. leaving it this time. And uh, my fat man was extremely upset, even though I was trying to help, like I was doing my part to um, set up uh, things on Flatmate Finders. I used Facebook, everything, put up the photos, and I was getting people to come over to look at the room. And... Uh, and my bedroom was nice, so I knew it would easily be snatched up. However, she was quite picky about who, and rightfully so, you know, you want this is someone yeah. you're going to be living with. Um, but I felt there were some good people in there that, you know, maybe would have worked out, but she was quite picky about who she wanted. Um, so what ended up happening, happening was um, I had left some stuff there to come get when I came back to Sydney or to give to a friend, and uh, she ended up tossing it. Um, and because I didn't get it within a certain time and she was just so angry and I think she really just wanted to block me on Facebook. So that was like the last Mm. thing. Um, yeah, so I, I don't even remember, I don't know what was there. The only thing I can remember was there was this really nice robe, cotton robe from Victoria's Secret that I loved that was there. And Mm. I'm just like, that's the only thing I know that for sure was in that bag of stuff that I lost. Um, and then, and when I had some flatmates in Waterloo, and I thought I had spent a good enough time with these people, but obviously, you know, I was doing the same thing you were doing, subletting, and what I had not done was ask for a copy of the lease. So I didn't know the breakdown of who was paying what, and uh, what I found out was I was paying the most. There was a couple in one room, another girl in another room. The couple were in the master, so they had their own bathroom. Me and the other girl were sharing a bathroom, but we had individual rooms. So I was paying like 360 or something, 390. No, 360, then it went up to 390. And what I didn't know is if you're going to increase the rent, you have to give notice six weeks, I believe. And then the rent goes up, not just, hey, we're going to uh, increase the rent next payment time. And then boom, it comes and it has to be written notice. Mm. Um, so uh, I ended up um, finding out that I was paying so much more than everyone else. And I was like, if you're a couple, I think you should be paying more. So maybe 400 for a couple versus whatever they were paying. And I kept asking to see the lease. And uh, eventually I knew I needed to move out because I was like, this is, I'm not going to be able to pay this amount uh, with the job that I had. And uh, they ended up getting a dog, but not taking care of it. And 
our neighbors started complaining and like it was getting to the point where I get cornered in the lift like do you live in that apartment and you know they're asking about the dog because the dog would just stay on the balcony all day I'd be at work they'd be at work in class because they were both studying and um our other flatmate was a sushi chef and she was at work from like maybe two in the afternoon into the night and so no one was really looking after this dog he just it was a puppy and he just cry on the balcony and when they asked me if they should get a dog I said it's a bad idea they obviously didn't listen to me and um they then they wouldn't let people play with it inside the house um so like if I had someone come over they wouldn't let that person play with it mm. or whatever and I'm just like what's the point of having a dog then I barely saw them take the dog out for a walk it was just bad so I knew I had to get up out of there and uh yeah but I think this, those are like that's the end of my flatmate issues ever since mm. then it's just been smooth selling obviously learned uh learned your lessons yeah I definitely did well maybe it's a good time to to take a break and then we can come back and talk about some crazy stuff well I got crazy stuff to talk about I don't know if you have crazy stuff to talk about but, oh yeah uh, I've definitely got one maybe some serious stuff too Ooh, okay well let's uh, stay tuned for the, after the break and hear uh, some crazy yet serious stuff from us Sorry. Thank you for listening to Expat State of Mind. If you're enjoying what you hear, like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast. And remember, if there's anything you want to hear on the podcast, hit us up at, at Expat State of Mind on Instagram or Expat State of Mind at gmail.com. Hello and welcome back to uh, part two. How, uh, how you doing? Part dose. I'm a bit hungry. You're always hungry. Yeah, I know. After <laughs> this, we got to have some food. And watch Lovecraft Country. I'm surprised you didn't have some food beforehand, actually. Well, I had breakfast. Yeah, um, did you hear what I said? Got to watch Lovecraft yeah, Country. I, I mean, uh, old country. <laughs> if you're not watching that TV show right now, you need to be. I mean, who knows? If you listen to this two years from now, it'll probably still be out on Netflix. but uh, Or whatever it's on. Foxtel Go or... Wherever well, you are, HBO show, so it is, whoever, you know. in whatever country you're in, whoever gets HBO, it's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, do uh, do miss still getting the the sort of channels and stuff from home. That's one of the things I do miss. I have to say. Um, so yeah, we were talking about we mainly talking about visa and money issues beforehand. So let's move away from from those. Um, was there anything else when you were thinking about this episode that sprung to mind? You know, things that you know you weren't expecting. The un- you know things that went wrong. Or, um, yeah, anything that uh, sprung to mind for you? Um, it's funny you said um, moving away from like visas and money, uh, but we know how we were talking about like flatmates and living situations mm. before the break. Uh, I just thought of one, and it's not specifically an issue with a flatmate. It's like an issue that came um, as a result of my, you know, housing being ended. I guess. Uh, whereas when I was in New Zealand, I was living with something. Well, I mean, something. <laughs> mm. I was living with a person. Relationship <laughs> ended badly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was living with someone for the almost the entire time I lived in New Zealand. I just lived in. It was so different to me being in Sydney, where I was like, I lived here for a few months, and I was here for six and whatever. Um, I was basically there the whole time, and it was cool. Two bedroom, two bathroom. Loved it. Very modern. She owned the place, so. There was no, you know, contracts and dealing with stuff like that. 
Um, but she ended up moving her partner in and she had or wanting to, and he would stay the night and stuff all the time. And he and I were cool as well. Uh, but once he moved in at whatever date that she told me, uh, was, that was the date that she wanted me to be out by. Um, yeah. And I had already had plans to move back to Australia and I already had the date set for that. So that left me with a gap of time to have somewhere to live. Mm. Um, so I started stressing out over that because trying to find an apartment for a short amount of time was very hard, or even just a room for rent. Because most people want to have three, someone there for three months minimum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I even I know my brother's found himself in that situation recently in Melbourne. Oh yeah, that's right. Because he's gonna leave Melbourne, right? Yeah, I think so. I think he's planning on heading back. Um, one thing that's for yeah. sure is um, I think if you're abroad and not settled in a country during a pandemic lockdown there is not much to do um, yeah. so i think uh, yeah it's uh, just not really seeing the point in being being here at the moment during uh well during i guess that's why a lot of people lockdown. move back to you know their home countries and or move to another place um to have a lockdown because uh being somewhere where you a may can't work or be uh hard to find housing or whatever the case may yeah, be or, or you stay yeah, alone yeah exactly if you live alone or live with someone you don't particularly like as we just mentioned you know you don't want to be stuck in a house with them 24-7 yeah so then after um so I ended up moving out of that place and I'm pretty sure I moved out and then came to Australia for something something was going on I had to it was in March so there was I came to Australia I think twice in March uh, and I had been to Australia three times in February um so I was just coming very frequently uh, but when I came back, I had to book a hostel, actually. But this was the nicest hostel. Or I won't say it was the nicest. It was like, it was nice, but maybe not the nicest. But it was just, it was like being in a hostel, but not feeling like you're in a hostel. Actually feeling like maybe this is somewhere where people live. Um, and it was a, I want to say it was associated with the YMCA. Or the the YHA ones, I think. And um so I was there, I want to say maybe three weeks, maybe. Um, and what I was doing was, like I said, I went to Australia twice in March. So I would take stuff to Sydney um, from New Zealand, like actually move stuff um, every time I went then. So I wouldn't end up with having a bunch of stuff in this hostel. And um, then my last week in Auckland, I ended up staying in a hotel Uh just because, obviously, when you're in a hostel, I only had three other people in my room. So it wasn't, like, super crowded. And I was staying in, like, an all-girls room. I think that's how they do it at these YHAs. And so it wasn't even that bad. And sometimes there are people not staying there. Um, so there were times when it was just me in the room. Um, but I was like, my last week here, I'm just going to splurge. And um, actually, I don't think I paid for it. Um, I think someone else paid for it. And uh, I stayed in a hotel for a week. And... So, I mean, it doesn't sound like anything too bad, but before, like, I didn't really want to spend that kind of, a lot of money on, you know, where to live for, you know, this random four weeks that I have mm. left in, in New Zealand. Um, and it just kind of, I don't know, it was a little bit stressful because I had intended on living in that apartment until it was time for me to, to go to the airport, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so it's not even really like a flatmate issue. It's just, you know, a housing issue. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that is likely to go wrong at some point, which, yeah, is, I guess, true 
anywhere you live but i think it's just like as with all these things it's made all the more uh, poignant when you're um when you've got nowhere to fall back on yeah and then like i just thought of something else and i don't know why i keep saying i thought of it i actually have it written down here um when you're in another country uh i think sometimes people forget that you still have to abide by whatever the laws are of that country for example if you go to a country in the middle east they do have you know some laws that have to do with what you're wearing, you know, alcohol, those kind of things, things that you do in public. Um, and obviously it's not that strict here in Australia, um, but you do need to be mindful of certain laws and um, break what will happen if you break a law because it's different than if you're a citizen versus a mm. permanent resident or a citizen versus being, uh, you know, just an expat or a tourist or whatever. And I um, remember like I had a house party um, and this was the the flatmate that ended up throwing my stuff away. Um, I asked her permission for it, but I didn't speak to any of my neighbors, excuse me, my neighbors about it and um, ended up uh, like obviously at some point during the party, the police were being called because the neighbors were quite upset. To be fair, I could understand why they would be upset because I had a friend who we've now met who was the DJ, and I didn't think he was going to bring an actual DJ, like all of his DJ equipment and stuff. And um, so that made the music very loud. And um, so the police came, and I actually was not familiar with, you know, the laws about house parties and, um, and you know, noise violations. But that could have easily, like, been a bad situation for me if it, you know, if the laws were a bit strict and I was actually breaking a law. And because I was not a permanent resident mm. and um, I've seen people who have, you know, been caught with drugs going into a festival or whatever, who, you know, they're just an expat, get sent, get deported back to wherever they came from. And um, so that is something that could really uh, ruin your experience living abroad if, you know, you end up breaking a law and then. Hey, yeah, I think it's fair to say getting deported would ruin ruin your experience of, uh, of living abroad. But you're definitely when... Um, I remember when I, yeah, before my permanent residency came through, uh, I was definitely worried about you know getting caught doing anything wrong. Yeah. Um, so, not that I'm flippant about breaking the law now, but just um, yeah, it just <laughs> it, it just now. felt like an, an added pressure that was always there. Like, oh, if I just if I do something stupid, then you know that's all it's all gone. It's all out the window. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a big sort of thing in the back of your mind, uh, which yeah, like I say, I don't think a lot of people pay attention to. Um, and then seem outraged um, when uh, yeah, well they're held sort of accountable uh, for things like that. Um, you see it obviously in these sort of banged up abroad shows and oh yeah, things like that. Um, one thing um, that you I, I mentioned before the break that you definitely know about that sort of went wrong for me here, um, and I say it went wrong, yeah, it's my own fault. But um, said fairly recently, uh, but after I had um, obviously got my permanent residency. I was pulled over for a, a minor speeding oh, yeah. infraction. <laughs> and, um, yeah, basically, once you become a permanent resident here in Australia, you have to change your driving license over and you have a certain amount of time to do that. Um, now, I hadn't done it within that period of time, um, so hands up. Um, I hadn't also realised just how seriously they were going to take that. Um, so... Yeah, all the general sort of fines and everything else aside, probably the funny part of this story is that very early on in our relationship, you got a phone call 
Um, you didn't even call me. You sent a text. <laughs> and you made it seem like it was very casual. You're just like, I got stopped by the police. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you, well, you, you didn't laugh. But yeah, I don't think I sent a lol. But I think... Um, yeah, so you uh, you had to ask a friend to give you a lift up the motorway. I think you should really tell away. this story. No, I think that's probably enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you had to come pick me up um, so that you could drive my car home, um, which was um, yeah an interesting early early part in our relationship. And uh, yeah, just anyone out there who thinks they're being smart by not changing their license over, just a word of advice is probably worth doing. Um, and it was very very easy to do. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why I hadn't why I put it off for so long. Imagine well, it used to be a bigger deal having a foreign license in Australia. Um, like if I you mean, were going to foreign anything in Australia was a bigger deal back in the day. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but just like if you were going out and stuff and they see your ID, they might say like you used to have to carry a passport. And even in New Zealand, yeah, I, I do. I do remember that. You had to carry yeah. a, a passport. Um, but now, you know, if you have a whatever license, they're a bit more lax about that now, especially the casino where they got that gadget that will scan your license or whatever. Um, but, you know, so it used to be a thing where if you it was probably a better idea if you could to get an Australian ID of some sort. Uh, and I swapped my license over because my American one was expiring. So I did it way before I even became a permanent resident because I had no choice. Yeah. Um but uh I had not known that you that, that was even a possibility if you were driving. I think maybe someone might have mentioned it, but I was like, "Oh, yeah, whatever." Um didn't know that would be the case. We just get stopped. And they're like, "You cannot drive." Yeah. I wasn't uh, I wasn't expecting it. But um yeah, le- le- lesson learned and um obviously changed over now and complying with all of the uh, necessary road laws. Really? Absolutely. Including the speeding one? Absolutely. Uh, I don't know why you would mention that. <laughs> Including the a, road rage on ones? On podcast that's going out to the public. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tom doesn't speak. He's actually a, a, you know, a decent driver. I am a driver driving my own car. Um, is there anything else that you had, um, anything else that you sort of mentioned that you were uh, that, that you feel sort of kind of went wrong? Any faux pas that you had anything little you know what i don't wouldn't say this have a is short story you know a short story well um it's not even really a story it's just uh, more of a just a thought and this isn't necessarily something that went wrong but it's something that uh affected uh me living abroad and it was just like not having uh the funds to go back home to visit and like I said, it's not something that went wrong, but it was still in the back of my mind. Obviously, I miss my friends and family and stuff, and I want to go visit, but I'm here living this life. I'm working or whatever, and um, at the time, I was just, like, I could save a little bit, but, you know, something comes up. We want to take a trip to the Hunter Valley, and, you know, boom, I'm paying for that. Um, and a flight to the States is easily, you know, a grand, and plus, depending on how long you'll be there, plus internal flights, you could spend a good amount of money. So I just didn't have that amount at the time. So it was, you know, a bit of a struggle to not be able to go home when you want to go home. Mm. And I mean, I guess that does relate to like money issues. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's maybe, you know, like I think not just with money, but it's also when you start working, if you're working somewhere, you only get so many weeks of holiday a year. Um, And if you live as far away from your family as we do, then, you know, going home is 
you know, minimum two three weeks. Otherwise, you're doing these flights for two, you're flying for two or three days either end for a couple of for a week or so. Um, so yeah, if you do go home, then you're kind of ruling out any other holiday that year, any other big holiday that year. And yeah. I think that's that's where I found a big challenge was just trying to juggle those things um, between them and you know working out. You know, maybe I'll go back this year and then next year I'll go on holiday or. Maybe I'll just maybe I'll try and do both at once, and I'll try and have a holiday on the back end of seeing family. Uh, but I don't think anyone gets to see to go home as much as they initially thought they would when they when they move away. Unless, of course, you're only moving a few few hours flight, in which case it's, it's obviously very different. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned um, you know the leave, and because Australia has a generous uh, generous leave program where I think it's four weeks, right? Yeah, four, four weeks. weeks. Well, that's that was the same. I mean, I think that's standard. You think it's generous, but I think that's because we we, we yeah. hail from places where <laughs> I think employment, all because of the US, employment you know, laws are I mean, yeah, maybe slightly. Because I think it's just two different. weeks in the states, and uh, not everyone would get those. I think it depends. Yeah, I was going to say I don't even think it's um, as like a standard thing in yeah. the states, from from my understanding of it. I'm not sure. It's been so long because I did work someplace that yeah. did have uh, like my last job in the states. We actually got 21 days of uh, annual leave, so that was generous yeah, to me yeah what i found with that was it was strange when i moved here and saw my first um paycheck that had you leave and everything on is they have an allotted amount of sick days every year uh, in australia that depends which on the from company. the uk oh, everywhere i've worked has been so i had um, a limited in my last role okay so uh, that's yeah maybe slightly different then but what i was going to say is that when you see it written down somewhere that you have this many sick days it's almost it's inviting it is what it's doing so when you get towards the end of the year and you see you've got so many sick days left having never had this as an option before it, it was strange to see it and you kind of look at it and think i'm not using those and seem seem wasted if at the end of the year that they've they've gone um i don't know if you have that in the states with your sick days i can't um can't imagine you, so you so. have like a number as well like a i don't remember in my last job how many i had um i don't even remember maybe five or something um, but I never really took sick days. So working in Australia, I was like, how do people take sick days? I mean, obviously I was seeing people take sick days all the time, but I just didn't feel comfortable taking a sick day. Um, I was just like, day. what do you, so if you, if you're going to take a sick day, what do you, do you let people know in advance? Do you have to call on the day of and say that you're taking a sick day? How does it work? And, um, yeah, well, I think over time your, uh, your deliverance of your, I'm taking a day off changes. Um, but one, I think the golden rule of to put in a sickie is, is never, never a voicemail. A voicemail is a, a waster's dream ticket for a sickie. So uh, yeah, you always got to speak to someone, I think. Yeah, yeah. well, we used so, to, at my last um, place of employment, we would just send each other messages. Sometimes it'd be like a mass text to a few people. That wouldn't be flying in the world of recruitment, I can really? tell you that. <laughs> oh, no. 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 I mean, because usually people will respond pretty quickly to a message. But I mean, you're not going to send a message if you start at nine, you're not going to send one at eight thirty. You know, you might send a message at seven a.m. or whatever. Yeah. Um, because yeah, that's I a bit think, early for a I call. I think the worry in a lot of places is uh, is is very easy if you wake up and feel a bit naff to just send a message and say I'm not coming to work. Whereas to phone someone and say that you're too sick to work takes a little bit more. So I think that's yeah. the theory. Um, but back what we were saying about the leave. Um. What was I saying? Oh, just because I, you know, I consider that a, that to be generous. Um, so 
when you are planning your trip to go back home or whatever, it eats so much of that. And for me, that was like an issue that I had was it going back to the States is using up so much of my leave that I now have to purchase leave to be able to go anywhere else. Or for um, the year that I did purchase leave, I actually had to purchase it to go to the States um, because that was the year that I went to the States twice. And um, it, obviously I chose to go, you know, um, I, there were important things that I had going on twice that year and I had already made a commitment to one almost probably over a year beforehand and the one that came about second, um, uh, which I actually went to, I guess in time, I went to that first for the, it, I went to the States first for that. Um, I had to, uh, it was for family. So I just, I had to go and I just, that makes me think about, um, when you are so far away and things that we, I would consider emergencies happen back home, you end up having to kind of, you know, drop everything and, you know, try to make arrangements to go home. And it can be quite uh, daunting because, you know, a last minute flight to the UK or to the States or to Canada, or, you know, it's even more expensive if you're doing a last minute flight to South America. Um, that A, is going to cost you quite a bit of money, and two, you may not have the leave available to take that trip. And um, yeah, that's another, I guess, it wasn't an issue for me, I guess the leave part was, but I luckily have not had to um, take an emergency flight uh, to the States, knock on wood. Um, but I, that's something that I do worry about in the back of my mind. It's like, you know, what if something happens and I need to be there? And it obviously won't be super quick because it's going to take me a couple of days. Um, but, you know, will I have the funds? And I used to save my frequent flyer miles so that if that ever came up where I need to take an emergency flight, I can offset the cost with uh, some miles. But obviously, right now during COVID, uh, we can't fly anywhere, um, even if it is an emergency. Uh, we need an exemption. So I guess that's not entirely a concern at the moment. Yeah, when we flying anywhere for a while, certainly. Um, though we're sort of coming towards a, a natural end, but one thing, and this is a very short thing, and I was, um, I was actually talking to someone about it the other day, um, was when I first moved here, I'd often go out after work or, well, you know, go out with the boys or anything else, and then, you know, you'd be on the way home, and you think, oh, I'll just, uh, I'll just call someone back home. They'll be awake now. They're, finally, the times have lined up. What you don't realise is that you're calling someone at two in the morning, steaming drunk. They're they're picking up in the morning at work, um, and uh, it's just there's two very different vibes at either end of that phone line, and it takes <laughs> it takes a while to just get out of that habit because you can you can hear often people thinking, I wish I wouldn't get these phone calls every day, and yeah, uh, um, yeah and then I end up getting them the other way around as well. I was well. just about to say and that, and vice versa. Um, <laughs> And it is very strange when you're stone cold sober to get a call from four mates back home who are absolutely steaming. Um, so yeah, that that was something that I did a few times and uh, had to be reminded that uh, yeah, I'm uh, either waking people up or I'm interrupting their lunch breaks with my uh, my drunken stories. No, it's funny like it happened that way for you, vice versa. Whereas for me, it's always I'm getting a call at three in the morning because people don't know what time it is here. And well, I'll be oh, sleeping through that. Yeah, well, I used to have my phone on vibrate. Now I just keep it on silent. Um, but when I'd have it on vibrate, it'd wake me up. And I'd be like, or, and I think it's an emergency. I'd be like, oh, someone's calling me at 3 a.m. Something's happened. I've got to answer. 
and they would just be like, oh, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> I, was just, I was just bored. Yeah. I'm, just like, cool. I'm, like, I'm asleep. Oh, really? What time <laughs> is it there? Like, you have a, a, a smartphone, and your smartphone has a world clock, I'm sure, of it on there. Before you call me, Yeah, maybe you get the world clock app. Uh, <laughs> oh, actually, one thing, we moved on to money and visas so quickly that I almost missed this one in my notes, but um, probably the, the first thing that went wrong for me when I got here, um, and it's always stuck with me, was um, you know, you, you was going for my first interviews. So I had interviews lined up for when I arrived. So my first week I was going for interviews. And um, I, I started, yeah, it was just the heat. So I, was, I moved here in uh, <laughs> February. And uh, basically Very I was going in between these interviews in a suit, um, having just moved from the winter in the UK to the, the summer in Sydney. And um, I was going between these interviews and, um, yeah, I, you know, I swear the best of times, but I was there. It was, <laughs> there was buckets of sweat pouring off me in between these meetings, and uh, to the point where I'd get into the next one, and they'd ask if uh, they could take my jacket, and I was so worried about the just the sheer size of the sweat patches <laughs> that I was uh, I was continued to wear the jacket, which only made it worse because then I was in an interview under pressure, already sweating, <laughs> worrying about my sweating, and then worrying about the interview. Um, so it was uh, yeah. Very, very hot that day. And then I remember also being shocked with just how expensive water was here because I had a couple of dollars in my pocket and I thought that would be enough. I don't <laughs> think I had my bank card yet. And I thought a couple of dollars would be enough to go and buy a bottle of water. Four news agents later, I realised two dollars was not necessarily enough money to buy a bottle of Minimum water. Minimum $3.50. So, so I was sweating, thirsty, and then angry that I couldn't buy water for two dollars. <laughs> uh, so all in all, that was uh, that was a pretty bad day. Uh, so yeah, just... Uh, Nothing, nothing much you could do. I couldn't do anything about the heat, and I think you still expected to wear a suit to a, an interview, but it was, uh, it definitely didn't go well. How many callbacks did you get from that day? Um, well, I did get, a, I got a job out of it out of that day. I think it must have been one of the early morning ones. So it was, <laughs> it was worth it. Before I became the, the sweaty mess that I was at the end of the day. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe try and spread your interviews out if you're having somewhere hot. Yeah, maybe just don't maybe, move to Australia or, or, in February. Maybe, well, yeah, or maybe take a cab to the interview so you're not walking around in the uh, in the blazing sunshine. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a, a good way to end with a, a funny story about Tom and his sweat patches. Yeah, also picked up a fair bit of sunburn when I first arrived. Yeah, you got to wear that sunscreen. that's a mistake everybody makes. Yeah, <laughs> that is very true. People, you always can tell who just came to Australia about how sunburnt they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, don't you read about this? Actually, listen to the podcast. Wear some sunscreen. There you go. Wear some sunscreen. There's been a bit of advice on today. I had a yeah. friend who, on his first day in Australia, and he went up to Perth, and uh, he fell asleep on the beach. Uh, so then woke up with a uh, one side of his body completely, t- completely <laughs> burnt to sh- shreds. And the Did other he fall asleep on his stomach or on his back? On his side. Oh god! Yeah. So it wasn't even like front back. Oh, no, it, it, looked like, like... it looked like Two Face from Batman. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. so funny. And it was so burnt on one side, and then so white on the other. It was, um, yeah. So don't do that either. Yeah, just wear sunscreen. <laughs> wear even sunscreen. if you're not be moving safe. overseas, be wear sun sunscreen. Safe. <laughs> be sun safe. Be COVID safe. Be all, all kinds of safe. Um, if you've made it this far through, again, then thanks for listening. Uh, if you're enjoying it, and I assume you are, if you're still at this stage then um, please do share and like the podcast. Give us uh, a review. Yeah, give us a review. Preferably give us five stars. But Yeah, know. good reviews. More than welcome. And um, as always... Give us some feedback. Yeah, send us some feedback. 
send us some questions. Uh, what do you want to hear? You. Again, if you got some crazy dating stories, we're trying to work on that episode now, and we want to share some um, dating stories from abroad. We know, we know, y'all have a story. Hmm. Well, tips in charge of the uh, the research there. Uh, so I look forward to hearing them from you. And uh, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll get you next week, episode ten. Um, don't know if we know what we're doing. Next yeah, I don't time. think so. We'll we'll deliberate. We'll come but, back to um, Yeah, follow us on Instagram, Expat State of Mind, Facebook. Give us a like. It's also Expat State of Mind. You can send an email to us about anything um, to Expat State of Mind at gmail dot com. And uh, yeah, we'll chat to you next time. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. See you then. Thanks for listening to Expat State of Mind. And don't forget, if you enjoyed the show, please like, comment and subscribe. And until next time, look after yourselves.